So oftentimes my car will stay out of alignment, but one of the things that they warn you when your car is out of alignment is that it'll cause unnecessary wear on your tires, on your suspension. It'll cause you to use more gas than you need because you're always trying to counteract the pull that your car has. So it's not a great thing to keep your car out of alignment. And what I want to submit to you today is that sometimes we can be out of alignment with God. And we wonder why we feel so worn out spiritually, why we're tired spiritually, why we feel like giving up. And sometimes, can I submit to you what you're feeling spiritually or what you're feeling physically is actually a sign of what's going on spiritually. Sometimes when you're in a slump of just spiritually, there's just no fire in the furnace. If you're picking up what I'm laying down, there's just no fire there. Naturally, you're going to be extra tired. You're going to be disconnected because you're just, the spirit just brings life to a person. And oftentimes it is because we're not in alignment with God. And we find ourselves in situations where it costs us more to do simple things. I don't want you to miss that. When we're not in alignment with God, it'll cost us more to do simple things. Simple things should be simple things. Simple things should just correct themselves. But when we're not in alignment with God, it'll cost us more. I want to go to 1 Samuel 16, verse 3. We read this two weeks ago, but I want to look at it in a little bit of a different light today. 1 Samuel 16, verse 3, and this is when Samuel is on his way to anoint David. And here's what it says. And invite Jesse, this is the Lord talking to the prophet Samuel, to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him who I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked at Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or his height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. The Lord looks on the out, the Lord, man looks on the outward appearance, excuse me, but the Lord looks on the heart. So then Jesse, moving the verse on, continues to call all seven of his sons and every time they stand before the prophet, God says, no, that's not the one. And he, they keep calling sons. So verse 11, then Samuel said to Jesse, are, <clears throat> are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. Send and get him. I just wanted to insert this right here. I think God's getting ready to send and call for somebody. Somebody who's been on the backside of the wilderness, not even elevated in your own household or in your father's eyes, but God's eyes have been on you. And I think we're in a season, not just of miracles, but a season where God's calling those who have been on the backside of the field and out of the spotlight. God's saying, hey, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. So I just want to submit that to you because some of us have felt overlooked or ignored or alienated and we didn't think we were good enough or big enough or tall enough or had enough strength strength or had enough smart to do what God called us to do. But here's what I want you to know is when God calls you from the backside of the wilderness, there's nothing man can do to stop you. It looked like there were seven sons in line before him, before he would even have an opportunity to get to the throne. He wasn't even called to the house. But when God says, come, it doesn't, matter where, it doesn't matter where you've been placed, what your station is in life, what your education level has been, what your past has looked like. When God says it's time for you to rise up in what I've called you to do and be who I've called you to be, watch out because nothing will be able to stop what God put his hand on. Come on, somebody. So they sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him for this is he. This is he. 
First thing I want us to look at this morning is where Samuel was in this process. Because a few verses before this, we read that Samuel was in a state of grieving and uh, really overwhelmed in grief and he was distraught. All because... Uh, God had rejected Saul, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But what I wanted you to see is when God called Samuel to go and anoint David, he was in a crushing place. He was in a lowly place. His soul was distraught. Grief had overwhelmed him because of what he saw. And I want you to know today that crushing places in life always precede an anointing coming into your life. Crushing places always precede an anointing showing up in your life. Do you know the anointing you carry right now isn't the anointing that you have to have your entire life? You can get more anointed. How do you get more anointed? By gaining more ground. How do I gain more ground? By winning the battle. How do I win the battle? When the test is put in front of you, win it. Come on, somebody. When discouragement comes, win it. When thoughts to, you know, run your mouth and talk down about other people enters your mind, win that test. Come on. Come on. When gossip's knocking at the door, win the test. And what you're doing, you're doing like the Israelites when God sent them into the promised land. It wasn't just an open country land and just walk in. They had to go city by city by city by city and conquer every city so that they could fully enter the promise. Some of us came through the Red Sea, stepped on the, the shorelines of our promised land and said, well, I don't want to go to Ai in battle and I don't want to go to Jericho in battle, so I'll just stay on the shorelines. Yeah, you're living in the promised land, but you're not living in the fullness of it because you just want, don't want to have to battle anything. I look at Jericho, which was the second to smallest uh, city that the Israelites would conquer. But it, because it was so small, it was so well fortified that it was almost impossible for the Israelites to overcome it. What does that mean? It means sometimes it's those small things, those bad attitudes, those small ways of thinking that have been in our lives so long. They're so well fortified that it takes a God miracle for us to ever break that down. Sometimes it takes a God miracle for us to see that we are playing the victim over and over and over again. And as long as you play the victim, you will never be the victor in life. As long as it all happened to me and it's not my fault. Listen, I don't care what happened to you and it may or may not be your fault. But what is in your realm of responsibility is how you choose to respond to what happened to you. You don't have to stay where somebody drug you. Come on. You have the ability to get up and walk out of that season, walk out of that discouragement, walk out of that bitterness, walk out of what happened to you and see victory on the other side. And when you begin to live life that way, you're taking ground. And the more ground I have, the more anointing I can walk in. So it's not that God is holding out his anointing for these religious elite who are running on the earth and God just saying, yep, 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 yep. No, you got it and everybody else is just common folk. No, God pours out his anointing for those who city by city, problem by problem, trial by trial, keep pressing in and keep gaining ground and keep moving forward. If you need a fresh anointing in your life, I promise you it's hanging on your Jericho. It's hanging on your AI, which was a city. It's hanging on the next place that God's called you to conquer. Well, I feel dry spiritually. Then God's wanting to put his finger on something, and he wants you to get victory over something. Again, he's never holding back on us. He's just saying, come on. There's more. Come on. Press in. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. My little son's learning to crawl, and you know, he'll get in a good pace, and then he just goes down, and you got to, come on. Come on. Come on. Keep going. That's what God has to do to us. It's like, well, we're tired. My thighs hurt, right? You feel bad for him sometimes. It's like, man, doing a full body exercise just to get across the living room. But God's just saying, come on, just keep pressing in. Keep pressing in that attitude because, you know, sometimes you know, we like to talk about the big sins. And yeah, God puts his finger on those too. But sometimes it's the little attitude problems that we have. That God says, you're stuck here until you deal with that. Sometimes it's that spirit of gossip that God says, you're stuck here until you deal with that. It's not glamorous. It's not exciting. But to not deal with it is very costly. So a place of crushing in life always precedes a new anointing 
arriving in our lives. I don't know about you, but I want all that I can get from God. That's why the Bible actually says to him who endures, even at the end of the age when we get to heaven, it says to him who endures. Endures what? Hardship, trials, temptations. The wanting to not be on God's side because sometimes God's side doesn't look as fun as the world's side. To he who endures, the Bible says, I will give him the crown of life. Which says that God is no respecter of persons, which means the same opportunities laid out for every person. But there's another scripture that says he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So now, now, hold on. I'm not even, I'm not even like past paragraph of my sermon and none of this is scripted. So just, I don't know what time we get out today. We thought when God said he's no respecter of persons, it meant what she gets in her life, God has to give me in my life. No. Well, if he did it for them, then he has to do it for me. No, no, no. You don't qualify like they qualified. You don't qualify because you didn't get in the game and take the ground to qualify for what was next. Though he's no respecter of persons, which means he gives us all the same opportunity. He said, I will be a rewarder of those who diligently seek me. So my reward has to do with the same measure of my pursuit of God. My reward is in measure with my pursuit of God. So quit looking at everybody else and saying, well, they got this and they got that and they have this over here. God, how comes I didn't get that? Well, you don't know what crushing they went through to earn that. You don't know that they started out at the bottom of the company and everything inside of them wanted to tell that boss, you know, where to put it. But the Holy Spirit got a hold of their heart and said, submit to all authority because all authority is appointed by God. Even that crooked boss, all authority is appointed by God. Well, I don't got to listen to them. All authority is appointed by God. And when their flesh wanted to rise up and walk out and start chaos, the Holy Spirit just kept on them and said, no, 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 no. And they kept pursuing and they won the battle again and again. So then finally God could enable them and trust them and elevate them to where now they run the company. Now they can get the blessing on their life because they won the battle at ground zero. So the same opportunities in front of us but the reward is not guaranteed. Man, we would be, talking to myself, but we would be so successful as believers if we just realized, like Taylor Swift said, hi, I'm the problem. It's me. Just, just lay your hands on yourself and say, it's me. But my daddy, did this? No. Nope. I'm not saying what they did to you is right, but how you live in response of what they did to you, that's on you. I'm not saying you didn't have disappointments and hardships and things come out of left field that you didn't expect and you're wondering where God is in the mix. I get all that. I get that's confusing. I get that's hard. But how we choose to respond, whether we respond in doubt or whether we stand up and respond in faith and speak his word and declare his promises over our life, that's on me. I keep walking around, you know, crying poor all the time and keep, you know, saying, well, God doesn't bless me and he doesn't love me and he never provides for me. And I also don't follow his principles of how he laid out to get finances that he laid out in his word by giving and tithing and sowing to other people and being a blessing to other people. Because you can bless somebody with a dollar, baby. You don't got to bless somebody. Well, I'll bless them when I get more money. No, Bible said he who is faithful with little will be faithful with much. Do you see the reward pattern? Well, you know, I can't bless anybody with $10,000, so it just, you know, I'll wait till I get there. No, 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 no. That's a reward. That's a reward to walk into somebody and say, what do you need? You need a new car here. That's a reward. But when you got $20 to change, and you're like, man, I feel like I should give five to this person. And that person might even have more money than you. Because it's not about them. 
It's about you being obedient to what God put in front of you. Don't you remember God sent the prophet to the widow woman, Elijah. And here's the thing. They were in famine. They're starving to death. Elijah was fed with, by birds with bread and water. So he, he was chunked out. Come on, somebody. Like somebody called my son today. He was rounded out, which is truth. No judgment. He was rounded out. And God sends this rounded out prophet to go talk to a hungry, dying widow woman and says, God told me that what you have left in your house, you're to give me. Excuse me? Who are you talking to? Looks like you've ate a few meals, buddy. But do you understand? The blessing wasn't in the prophet eating the meal. The blessing was in the woman operating in obedience to what the word of the Lord was in her life. Well, I don't need to give it. They don't need it. It's not about them. It's about you. It's about you being obedient to whatever God puts in front of you, even when it doesn't make sense. It's about you. So if we want to be more anointed, walk in a greater level, we have to understand we have to win the test. We have to pass the test. We have to gain more ground. Don't go around the same mountain again and again. Do not waste your life having the same conversations. Here's what I found. 19 years of pastoring. I've had a few people come, a few people go. Sometimes it feels like more go than come, but. And here's what I've found. And not that I do everything right or our church does everything right, certainly not. But what I've found is people who come, well, the last place I was at, and fill in the blank. Got a problem, got a problem, got a problem. Well, and then two places ago, their problem over there. Got a problem, got a problem, got a problem. So what is it that you're looking for? Because what you're saying to me is you're looking for heaven. A perfect place where no one will ever offend you. You get your mansion. Come on. But that's not real. That doesn't even exist in your home. It doesn't exist in your job. But some people like that are job hoppers too. Come on, I'm, not, I'm just preaching real to you this morning. Why? Because every crisis that happens or any time they get offended at their job, I'm out of here. Nobody's talking to me this way. Do you know what's going to happen? Year after year after year. It's a new company. It's five years later. It's a new boss. It's a new thing. But guess what? Your words are the same as they were five years ago about that other situation because the problem isn't them. The problem is you. The problem is me. So I will never gain ground or I'll never gain victory by pointing at everybody else and saying, if they, if they, if they, if they. Come on, I'll move around another mountain, but I will waste decades of my life walking around the same mountain until I stand in front of a mirror and I look at myself and I'll say, I can't choose how they treat me, but I'll choose how I respond. I'll respond in the goodness and blessing of God. I'll bless those who persecute me. I'll give to those who, who try to steal from me. Come on, I'll give my coat off my back to those who try to rob me. Why? Because it's not about them. It's about me. You can't extract oil out of an olive and leave the olive intact. It's impossible. The only way you get oil from an olive is to crush it, is to have a hard conversation. Samuel is in a place of crushing. He's mourning and grieving over Saul who God rejected. You know, I knew this sermon was in my spirit and kind of wrestling with the Lord. Can I move on to something else? Something that's not as heavy? Can I talk about the joy of the Lord and the blessing of the Father? And I came across on social media, a Christian magazine, they put out an article to how, and the title was how to tell if your pastor is a punch you in the nose type of pastor. I thought, well, this is interesting. Maybe, maybe it's me. And I'm reading it, and it floored me. I should have printed it out to read it to you, but it talked about 
if your pastor talks about sin, he's a punch you in the nose type of pastor. In that he wants to make you feel bad about what God already took on the cross. Oh, it's interesting. And the article went on with all these, these different things. And the point of it was as if your pastor makes you feel any type of way but happy and joyful, they're a punch you in the nose type of pastor. So pretty much what they're saying is, let's have pastors who don't talk about sin, who don't challenge people, who don't try to tell them there's a better way of living, who doesn't tell people that, hey, that thing will destroy your life, that will cost you more than you ever thought it would cost you. So I thought, well, maybe I shouldn't preach this. Then I woke up the next day and thought, eh. I guess I'll just punch some people in the nose today and... Because I want us to get what God has. My heart for you as a pastor is I don't want you to be stuck. I've looked at my life where, you know, I thought it was an innocent, you know, oh, it's sin. You know, it is what it is. Just don't fix it. I'll never forget when God told me this area of sin in my life. He says, deal with it before it deals with you. And I responded to God. I'll never forget where I was. That was one of the five times I always tell you about. Never forget where I was and where I was standing. And I had every excuse in the book to God, why now is not a good time to deal with that. I didn't deal with it, and it cost me more than I ever thought sin would cost me. And I stand here to tell you the thing in your life that God's putting his hand on and saying, deal with it, deal with it, deal with it. I'm not here to make you feel bad or guilty. I'm saying Christ already took the payment for that thing on the cross. You're deceived that you don't have to live under it. It doesn't have victory over you. You have victory over it. So walk out of it, get away from it, and start a new beginning. Don't spend your life going around the same mountain of sin. I'm telling you, there's more that God has in store. So Samuel is in this place of crushing because God rejected Saul. See, Israel wasn't even supposed to have a king because God considered himself to be their king. But they begin to look at all the other people and said, well, they have a king and they have a king and they have a king, so give us a king. God said, sure. They chose Saul. But Saul was born out of the people's will. Have you ever done something that was born out of your will? And then you got in trouble for it? And you turned around and asked God to bless it? Can I submit to you that God's not in your life to bless your will? He wants to bring his will into your life and with his will automatically carries the blessing of God. So here's our challenge. We have to be in alignment with the will of God to see the blessing manifest in our life. Look at Abraham and Sarah received a promise and got tired in their waiting. God, it's not happening, it's not happening, it's not happening, it's not happening. But you said, you said, you said, and it's not happening, it's not happening. All right, Abraham, go ahead and get the maidservant. Have a baby with her. Now we've accomplished God's will. And the baby's present. And God looked at that baby and said, that's not my promise. My promise was to you and Sarah. And it brought chaos and hurt and pain in Abraham and Sarah's life. And today, we still suffer the consequence of that. Why? The Jewish people are descendants of Abraham and Sarah's son, Isaac. The Muslim people are descendants of Ishmael. And do you know why we still battle today in the Middle East over Jerusalem and Israel? Because both of Abraham's descendants say they have claim to it. They don't because God said, no, Isaac is the true descendant. God made that very clear in scripture. But come on. So Abraham's not waiting on God has altered the world as we know it. We see crushing in Scripture. And anytime we see crushing, we always hear God talking about the oil. We see Samuel weeping. And in the midst of Samuel's grief, God says, Samuel, get your horn, put it full of oil, and go to anoint the next king. In the season of crushing is always released a fresh oil for a new season. You see that? 
we see this same principle, the same outline when Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and he's in this place of crushing. It's a weeping place. It's a place that precedes the cross. But Gethsemane literally means the oil press. It literally means the oil press. What happened to Jesus at Gethsemane is equally as important as what happened to him at Calvary. There wouldn't even be a Calvary if Jesus didn't go through Gethsemane. Why? Because the Garden of Gethsemane is where Jesus aligned his will to the will of his Father. I want to read it to you, read the whole thing, but you can write it down. Mark chapter 14, we find Jesus in the garden. And Jesus prays and says, Father, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. What is he saying? I don't want to do it. Find another way. Find an alternative route. All things are possible with you, remember? And that's where he is in the garden saying, God, if there's another way, get me out of this. That's how he starts his prayer. But he ends his prayer, not my will, but thine be done. He starts the prayer saying, God, here's my will. Here's what I want. But he quickly realizes he has to bring his will in alignment with the will of God to see victory. When you have come into alignment with the will of God, you know it because you've given up what you had in your mind. And you say, God, I reject what I had in mind. I reject the plan that I had for myself. I'm open to doing whatever it is that you want from me. Come on, it's easy to align with God as long as God's asking you to do what you already want to do. That's easy. But even though it didn't seem pleasant even though it didn't seem good, even though it wasn't what he had in mind, even though there was a dark cloud that cover it, even though it would include betrayal, even though it would include suffering, he says, I would better be aligned with God and out of line with other people. Remember, the disciples didn't have no idea what was going on. Defend yourself. Call in the armies. Overthrow the Roman government. Let's do this. They don't understand what's happening when Jesus is just going along with it. And you can't tell me he was human that when they begin to pull out his beard and spit on his face and all 39 times they whipped his back so bad that his flesh was being torn from his body. You can't tell me there weren't moments in there where he said, God, I want to yell, stop. I'm out, done. I've endured too much. But if he did, he would be out of alignment with the will of his father. And it was more important to him to be in alignment with the will of his father than to be comfortable. I didn't mean to just blow up the American church, but it's more important for us to be in alignment with the will of our father than to be comfortable. It's more important to get from God what he has for us when we gather in a service like this, however long it takes, than it is important for you to beat the lunch crowd and beat the Methodist to the restaurant. Come on, somebody. Let's get our priorities straight. God, if you got to take another 15 minutes and dig a little deeper. We can't afford the wear and tear that being out of alignment causes to our spirit and to our body. There are certain things happening, church, in your life and my life right now that we can't just drive through quickly because we have to stay in alignment with God. Can I tell you hell hates alignment? He can't stop you from being anointed. Why? That's a free gift from God. But if he can stop you from being in the right place, you'll miss the anointing. Why? Because if you're not in the right place, you're not going to be under the right flow. The anointing didn't flow until David was in the right place. 
So if he can get you distracted, if he can get you looking over here, watching everybody else, pondering what they're doing in their life, judging their Instagram, judging their life decisions, you've lost your place and your moment and you've lost the opportunity for a new anointing. Do you want to know how he does it? I'll move quickly. He'll call somebody to say something to you, smart, roll their eyes, look at you the wrong way, make fun of you, make you think everybody's talking about you, and all of a sudden, you've got an attitude again. We're going to dive into this. Now, because of your attitude problem, you're not in a alignment with where God's pouring out his blessing. Yeah. Satan's better at reading the pattern than we are. See, because there's a promotion coming for you at that job that Satan doesn't want you to have any place because he wants you broke and poor and in poverty and all your life. Why? You can't do anything significant for God. You can't do anything significant for your family when you can't even pay your own bills. See, he wants a blessing in your life. So what does he do? Calls that new coworker. Come in at the right time. Start saying some stuff about you. Well, they didn't, they didn't fire them like when they should fire them and I'm out of here. Because Satan knew down the road, God said, promotion's coming. All right. So what do we do? We get offended. We change churches. We change husbands. We change wives. We change anything that we can change because we don't want to really just deal with what's happening. Instead of really just changing the rebellion and coming into alignment with God, we try to change everything else around us. How many of you know that's not the solution? When you're in alignment with God, yokes are broken, walls come down, chains are crushed, prison doors are open, healings occur, breakthrough flows when you're in alignment with the will of God for your life. I want to be in alignment. So if arguing with you causes me to be out of alignment, sorry, I don't got time for that. Listen, there's nothing that you did or that they did to you so bad that you should be willing to lose your alignment with God to fool around or get even with them. Do you understand when you do that, you're saying, I value being right in their eyes than being right in God's eyes. If I don't have the last word, then I've lost. So what you do, you might win the battle. You might get the last word. You might, you know, have the, the, the real clinger. You might have brought judgment. You, you know, you feel like you're on top. But guess what? You might have won that battle. But honey, you lost the war. Because now you're out of alignment with God. Because God said, let me be the judge. I'll take care of your adversaries. I'll defeat your adversaries. I'll cause all hell to rise up and consume your adversaries. Your job is to stay in alignment with me. Your job is to stay on God's side. Pray for them that, that curse you. Pray for them who, you know, revile you. Pray blessing on their life and let God deal with the rest. So if Satan can get you off course, get you down here fighting in the smallness of life. It wasn't even about them. It was about him robbing you of the opportunity of what God wanted to bring into your life. That's why sometimes you just gotta laugh. I've been practicing that this week a lot. No, and it goes like this. <laughs> That's it. No, you just do it. That's it. <laughs> oh, they... Oh, somebody came up. Oh, did you hear they're talking behind your back? Try and get some dirt on you. <laughs> I don't got time for that. I'm in alignment with God. I don't got time to come down for their smallness. I'm like Nehemiah up on the wall. I, I can't come down because somebody wanted to gossip. <laughs> oh, another bill that I can't pay? <laughs> I don't got time to stress about that. The joy of the Lord is my strength. I pursue peace in all of my doings. 
Therefore, I can't come off the wall to stress about a bill that I can't pay. As long as I'm in alignment with God, as long as I'm faithful doing what he's called me to do, I'm obedient in my finances. Then all I do is laugh it off and say, <laughs> that bill's about to get paid by a God who's bigger than me. I don't know how or when or where or from what source, but it's coming my way because I am in alignment. But if Satan can get me pacing the floor, but God, how? I don't know where. I don't know what to do. Stressed out, overwhelmed, all kind of negative stuff going through my mind. I might have won the battle, but I've lost the war. I've lost the war. I got out of alignment. The anointing is in the alignment. Sometimes you have to hold your peace. Sometimes you just don't respond to people. Okay. Sometimes you don't get to say everything you want to say. You know, some people parade. I'm bold. I'll tell people what's on my mind. The Bible said, follow peace with all men and holiness because without holiness, no man will see the Lord. All right. Following peace brings you into alignment. Why? Because it's a place of rest. I laugh at it. I laugh. Just start laughing at it, people. They overlooked you again at your job? Just laugh. I'm staying on God's side. He takes care of the rest. Doesn't look like it's going to come together. It's all falling apart. <laughs> what does the report of the doctor say? <laughs> That's cute. Did you see that? I don't have time to stress about that. As long as I'm doing what God's called me to do, stepping up, doing what God's called me to do, then the rest is on him. I can't make a miracle happen. I don't have a potion that I can give you and stir this and throw that in there and an eye of a cat and a tail of a dog and healing. Don't work that way. Why? Because that's man pursuing man. God dishes out miracles. God dishes out signs and wonders. So me trying to make something happen doesn't do anything. Me laughing at the face of the adversary, <laughs> like you thought this bad report would bring me to down. Healing is the children's bread. He bore the stripes on his back so that this report will change. All right. I'm helping somebody in the room. Maybe they're not in the room. Maybe they were one of those latecomers that are watching online, but right now they're shouting me down because they've been trying to do it in their own strength. Honey, just stay in alignment with God and laugh the rest off. He's got it. So I just want to release that again. Whatever your rift is with somebody, whatever you're beefing about, it's not worth it to be compared with what God will release in your life when you're in alignment with God. And team, you can come. The Bible says that when the anointing oil flowed over Aaron, when Aaron was anointed in the Old Testament, that the oil flowed down his head, off of his beard, onto his shoulders, down his robe, onto his feet. I begin to think about that how anointing flows down. And I thought, how good to be the skirt or the robe of Aaron. You didn't even have to do anything. All you had to do was just be present. Just be present. And the oil will naturally flow down. Do you see why the enemy wants to get you in the wrong place at the wrong time? So when the oil starts flowing, you're not there. You might even be in the building but you don't qualify because your soul's a mess. All right. Last thing I want to bring up 
is the importance of being in the right place at the right time. God said to Samuel, he said, Samuel, remember Samuel's in a place of crushing. Go to Bethlehem. I'm about to anoint the next king. Go to Bethlehem, Samuel. Understand that Bethlehem was not a major city. It was this little town on the outskirts. Samuel, get up and go. We have to be in the right place at the right time to receive what God wants. Samuel could have said, well, Bethlehem, there's nothing good in Bethlehem, God. Why don't, why don't we try one of the major cities? Go to this little outskirt town. It's important for us to know because we don't have to be impressive with men. We just have to be impressive with God. And often what I have found is when God wants to do something significant in your life, he often uses a Bethlehem. He often uses what you would consider to be of no value. He often uses the ones that everybody else counted out. You don't have to have a big house for God to do it. He can do it in your house. You don't have to have a big name for God to do something significant with your life. He can use your name. The Holy Spirit coming to your Bethlehem can do exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask. All you have to do is go to Bethlehem. Saul was weeping. Samuel, excuse me, was weeping because Saul was rejected as king. Go ahead and stand on your feet. But here's what's interesting. While all of this is happening, Saul was alive. Samuel is weeping as if Saul's dead. But Saul's very much alive. David is anointed as the next king. If you didn't know the rest of the story, you would think, well, miracle, he's anointed the king and goes ahead and moves into the palace, right? No, he goes to the back, he goes back to his sheep. He serves under Saul. Saul tries to kill David for years. But then why is Samuel weeping? For a king that's still alive. He's weeping because God had already spoke to him and said, I've rejected Saul. You know what the weirdest thing that I think about sometimes, and I don't mean to be morbid, and it's just how my brain works. But sometimes if you watch like a 2020 special and somebody's been murdered, I know we're going strange at the closing here. But I often think about when that family member got that call. And I often think about, I wonder what they were doing, the moments leading up to that because their loved one was already gone and their life was forever altered they just didn't know it yet that's exactly what's happening God spoke to the prophet and said I've rejected Saul why? because Saul's heart was a mess about heart, remember not about outward appearance about being right in your heart so even though Saul is alive, the prophet understands that he's already been rejected and God has already anointed a new king long before it ever took place. Because sometimes the yes is already released in your life. It just hasn't showed up yet. Sometimes the simple act of obedience opened the door for what God wants to do you just don't know it yet 
then on the reverse of that, sometimes that bad attitude or that wrong decision or that moment of gossip or talking about somebody else or, you know, stealing or doing whatever it is, close the door in your life and you just haven't caught up to the reality that God removed his blessing off of you. That's scary to me. That I can be going on my life thinking that I'm all right with God and God's looking at me saying, I've already rejected you. Because you refuse to come in alignment and that's a scary place to live, church. Because like Saul, he went on for decades and didn't know that in God's eyes it was already over for him. Being in alignment is super important. I'm talking about Samuel. We're going to go into communion. So while I'm talking, if you didn't get communion elements, lift up your hands and an usher can get it to you. You don't think this is true? Let's look at Samson. Samson was given a clear direction by God. Samson was told by God, I'll give you supernatural strength and provision. There will be no adversary, Samson, that you can't overcome. My anointing will be so present on you that anyone who comes against you, you will physically be stronger than. That's an anointing. But there's some things you can't do. You can't touch any dead thing. You can't drink wine. And you can't tell people that the secret of the anointing is in your hair. You can't cut your hair. Now, was the anointing in his hair? No. The anointing was in the obedience of not cutting his hair. You with me? Supernatural. In comes Delilah. Samson, tell me what the secret of your power is. Samson's playing with her a little bit. Oh, no, it's, it's, it's in my robe. It's, it's in my belt. It's in... And he's, the dude's pretty dumb because every time he tells her that secret, the enemy comes in and tries what he told her. Like, wise up, buddy. But how many of you know when you're in a whirlwind of sin, you don't know up from down, in from out? So finally, Delilah wears him, de- wears him down. And he says, the secret is in my hair. If you cut my hair, I'll be powerless. Samson, the Bible says, falls asleep on Delilah's lap comes in and cuts his hair. There's a rustling out the door. The adversaries come in and Samson jumps up to do what he could do before. Here's what I'm talking about. The anointing left not when the adversary came in. The anointing lifted. Can I submit to you not when she cut his hair. The moment he opened his mouth and disobeyed the command of God the anointing lifted. He went to sleep already a destroyed man and had no idea. And I say this to you, and I'm not saying the blessing in the favor of God. I'm saying to you is I've been with Delilah. Don't Snapchat that and just put that on live stream. But I've been with Delilah's in my life where I knew that situation was wrong. I knew the attitude was wrong. I knew what I was saying was wrong. I knew what I was doing was wrong. But I entertain. I, I just, well, let me tell him a little bit. and not, I, should, I should have got Delilah out of the house a long time ago. And it cost me things in my life. It cost me seasons. It cost me moments. And I'm here prophesying to you. I don't want that for you. So it might be uncomfortable, but get Delilah out of your house. Get the attitude out of your house. Get the pornography off your phone. Get the gossip out of your mouth. Get it out. Get it out. Get it out. Because you might go to bed feeling the same, but the anointing's already lifted, and you can't do anything without the anointing of God. So as we take communion, we often talk about Jesus took the bread and he broke it for our body. Yep. He took the wine and drank it and said, this is my blood, spoke for the remission of your sin. Yep, we know that. Do you know what else he said? He said, before you take communion, if you've got a problem with somebody, lay the communion at the altar. Don't take it. 
you might say, well, everything you're talking about is Old Testament. This is new. So don't take communion. Go get it right with that person. And when it's right, come back and partake. And listen to what he said. He said, if you partake of communion and you're bitter and angry in your heart, he literally said, you are sowing destruction into your life. It's about heart, people. I want us to take a moment. I know we're over time. I want us to take a moment. Now, not everything you can make right with everybody. Sometimes you got to, like my mama used to say, you got to love them from a distance. Why? Because their influence in your life isn't good. And just because you forgive somebody doesn't mean you got to be BFFs with them. Because you, you can't afford their chaos to get you out of alignment. That's too costly. That's too costly. But what you can do is you can make a decision in your heart to say, I forgive them. And God might follow that up and say, call them, write a letter, ask them face to face, will you forgive me? They did the offense to me, pastor, don't matter. You've had unforgiveness in your heart and that's sin too. So your job is to say, will you forgive me for holding a grudge against you? So we're going to take communion today, but I want you just to take a moment with God. And Father, as we stand in your presence under your anointing, there's nothing we want more than to be in alignment. We want to be in alignment. We want to be effective with the days that you've given us. David said, teach me to number my days. Teach me to understand that one day I will leave this earth and only accomplishing what I've accomplished. Only doing what I'm doing. Your Bible said that tomorrow is promised to no man. I can't guarantee you that you'll be here tomorrow. So all I can offer you is to do with today what you can do today. And coming off the wall to play around in the smallness of other people and the smallness of bickering and the smallness of a bad attitude, it's not worth your time. So Father, as we stand in your presence, would you teach us to number our days? Would you teach us to be effective with the hours that you've given us? Would you forgive us when we've come down off the wall to play in the smallness of other people, the smallness of problems, and gotten distracted with the uh, plots of the enemy? And we've lost our way. Would you help us? Would you help us? I'm just going to allow the Holy Spirit right now, if He's speaking to you of an area where you need to repent, you need to forgive somebody, now's the time. It doesn't mean that the pain leaves. It doesn't mean that they were right and you were wrong. It just means they're not worth your, your alignment with God to keep holding on. Let it go, let it go, let it go, let it go, let it go. Some of you might need to forgive God because something happened in your life and you don't understand why God would allow it. You got to let that go. And you got to declare the words, God, I trust you even when it looks like it's been bad. God, I trust you and I don't understand why they died. God, I trust you even though I don't understand why the miracle didn't happen. I trust you, I trust you, I trust you. And I let go of the disappointment of my own expectations. I let it go. I let it go.
morning might say, well, I need to go to a church where they stick to a strict timetable. <laughs> Give me a sermon note follow sheet and I'll be good there. Honey, if that's where God calls you, then go. But if I'm ever preaching from life experiences, if I've ever related to one person in the Bible with Samson, I've watched a life fall apart and God have to build it back time and time again. You know, you, you know when you say that thing, you know what I'm talking about. I don't need to keep beating the dead horse here. So communion might look different for Hope City. Services might look different for Hope City. I told you God's changing our anointing. He's changing our anointing. But I'm all right with it because listen, I want you to win in life. I want to win in life. And sometimes you just need to get into a house and have somebody stand up and hold a mirror and say, you're the problem. You're the problem. Deal with it. Deal with it. Deal with it so that God can pour over you everything that he wants. He's not holding back, man. He's standing there with buckets of love, buckets of blessing. I mean, he loves you regardless of whether you deal with it or not. But understand, of just the overwhelming blessing in your life. And he says, listen, I'm no respecter, but I am a rewarder. Do you want all he has? So we're going to take communion together. But if God told you specifically to go and apologize to somebody, I want you to hold your communion. I want you to hold your communion. Biblically, that's what it says to do. And after you deal with that situation, take your communion. But for those who God didn't speak that, anything like that to you, we're going to partake together. So Father, we hold in our hands now what is a symbol of your body. Broken that we could have life and have it more abundantly. Broken that we could possess the promise that you promised. Broken so that we could overcome every obstacle. Broken for our healing. We take it now in honor and remembrance of what you've done. Let's partake. David told, or God told Samuel, I found a man after my own heart. You know David's story. David wasn't perfect. He had a lot of problems. But when you keep leaning into God, and you keep saying, Father, forgive me. You're not going to leave this room perfect. And it doesn't mean as soon as you make a mistake, the anointing is leaving your life. It means that you just need to come back into alignment before it gets out of control. That's all. God, forgive me for that attitude today. Back. All right. I'm back in alignment. Father, you know, forgive me for saying what I shouldn't have said back in alignment I watch what I shouldn't watch forgive me God I'm back in alignment his blood is enough to cover all of our sins let's partake together go ahead and gather your stuff I'm going to let you leave in one second but can I give you one more nugget to think about and how I want you to come into the room next week. Here's the thing about the anointing oil that was in Samson's horn. You know how they got that oil to not fall out during the travel? They put the oil in the horn, but then they would seal the oil with some wax. So when he took the horn and he put it over Jesse's first son, the reason that the oil didn't come out because the oil coming out was the symbol that that was God's chosen. So it means the wax was still there or otherwise the oil would just spill out everywhere. So when he held it over Jesse's first son, the wax didn't melt. Second son, third son, fourth son, fifth son, sixth son, seventh son. Jesse was a busy man. But for some reason, when the horn got over David, the wax melted and the oil flowed. Do you know why the wax melted? Because David was a man after God's heart. He was a worshiper.
praise attracts the glory of the Lord and the glory of God upon a person will cause the wax to melt and the oil to spill out. This week when trial hit, comes knocking, I'm a praiser. I'm a wax melter. I'm going to laugh. I'm going to let the oil spill out. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you.